Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. It's Jawad here as always. And F1 is back after the mid-season break. Belgian Grand Prix over the weekend and we're looking ahead to the Dutch Grand Prix at Zandvoort as well coming up in a couple of days' time. And yeah, you know, who would have thought that we would have had the result we did considering all the grid penalties, but it's hard not to believe that it was possible for Max Verstappen, a masterclass coming through the field from P14 to win his ninth race of the season. And then <clears throat> Red Bull as well, having a crushing 1-2 finish uh, with Ferrari well behind them. So it was one of those weekends that kind of reaffirmed this prophecy or um, theory I have about this uh, shaping out to be like season 2011 in terms of Red Bull and their golden boy winning the championship in the way he did. And quite interestingly as well, um, after the race, a few of us were discussing, you know, possibilities of, you know, what's the the largest gap in points between first and second in the championship. And I did some research because I was quite intrigued whether that would be a possibility this year and with the modern point system being how it is 25 points for a win and then you have your plus one for a fastest lap and then another sprint race to come as well the biggest margin was back in 2013 between Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso it was 155 points between those two at the end of the season so given the fact that we've got more races than we did in 2013 we've got more points on offer with the sprint and fastest laps as well uh, there is a chance that Verstappen could eclipse that that would be quite sensational and really you know it puts into perspective the achievements that Vettel had when he was at Red Bull if if Max can emulate that so so much for a driver who said he'd just be happy winning one championship in his career and now he's um, pretty much got one hand on the trophy his second um, championship trophy in 2022 so going into the race at Spa basically a space of power unit penalties were took the headlines over the weekend. You had the likes of Max, you had Charles Leclerc, Lando Norris, Esteban Ocon, Mick Schumacher, Gonyu Zhou, Yuki Tsunoda, and also Valtteri Bottas as well. So that's, you know, more than a quarter of the grid, uh, almost half the grid actually, getting sent to the back of the grid for, for penalties. There was a bit of confusion, I think, amongst people with how that the grid would look with those penalties. Um, in my mind... It's nearly not as bad as what it was going back to like 2015, 2016 when you had McLaren Honda taking massive grid penalties in every race. They'd be taking 60 positions per race almost because they'd have to bring a new power unit almost every time they hit the track. But the way that it was explained by Formula One and all the, the experts and everything made it quite easy to understand even for someone who probably is new to the sport. So... Bottas got a, you know, like 25 place grid penalty or something for the components he changed, but the components that everyone else changed warranted an automatic back of the grid penalty. And with the back of the grid penalty, the way it's determined is how you qualify. So essentially, you've got a, a second grid order with, you know, the penalty runners there. So it was, I don't know, it just seemed easy to figure out. I don't know why. 
Sky in their commentary. It's it's always Sky, <laughs> who always have this sort of commentary. He's like, you know, I know it's confusing for everyone. It's like, no, if you explain it properly, I'm sure anyone will understand. You know, don't have to... It's, it's like doom scrolling, but on broadcast... Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> getting getting kind of tired of Sky Sports commentary again. You know, it'd be nice to hear some fresh, fresh voices like they do have uh, this year, which is really good to see in some parts. But then there's the other parts, the more established, who just I don't know. They always like to find something bad about what is going on in F1. Um, so. In qualifying, we had pole position on the track for Verstappen, but Carlos Sainz was able to inherit that ahead of the race, ahead of Sergio Perez in second. Then you had Fernando Alonso and Lewis Hamilton on the second row of the grid. Uh, it was an odd start for Checo. Um, he kind of direction, put his pointed his car in the direction of covering off uh, La Source on the inside, but he pretty much got swallowed by both the Mercedes behind and also Alonso. Sainz got the lead away, which, you know, he looked pretty comfortable there. A uh, bit of drama behind Alonso, got the slipstream down the Camel straight on Hamilton, despite having started ahead of Hamilton, but Hamilton got ahead. And then he got himself ahead, did Alonso, going down the inside, and then Hamilton kind of turns in on him. At Lacombe, there was contact. Hamilton was uh, up in the air on two wheels. Uh, and was quick to admit that it was his fault, um, that, you know, he could have easily backed out of that, but, you know, tried to go for the corner, Alonso had the inside, he was very vociferous as well, uh, with some team radio straight afterwards, comment something along the lines of, you know, he doesn't really start races from outside pole position, so he doesn't know how to race, something like that, anyway, Alonso just doing Alonso, um, Hamilton, though, all class and was able to apologize straight after. And, you know, it shows you the difference between these two right now, uh, which, you know, read into it what you want. But I think it was pretty much done. Alonso did at least get to continue on in the race, whereas Hamilton uh, was out on the first lap. Very rarely do you see Hamilton out on a first lap. I think the last time might have been 2016 in Barcelona with Nico Rosberg. So, And he hasn't had very many DNFs either in general. So um, not good that that run came to an end for him. Uh, on the second lap, we had Nicholas Latifi run across the gravel there at Lacombe as well, have a spin. And then Valtteri Bottas in avoidance of that kind of spins on his own and then gets bogged in the gravel so he was out of the race unfortunately <coughs> and that brought out the safety car allowed the likes of Verstappen and, and Leclerc as well to gain some positions or get the field compressor that they could gain some positions as well because Max was a rocket ship uh, before the safety car came out, he had already got himself close to the top 10, and then after the safety car, continued to side his way through the field. Unfortunately for Leclerc, there was a puncture that he had just before the safety car came in, or I think just after the safety car, uh, so that pretty much did his afternoon in, and it was found later that the puncture was caused by, or um, he had a piece of Verstappen's um, visor tear off stuck in his brake duct or something, which had caused a problem. So that was a bit devastating for Leclerc. Um, a bit of a quiet weekend in that sense, but 
at the same time just kind of reaffirms how he's not really in this hunt anymore. There's not really much to hope for in the championship with the way the rest of his race panned out. Uh, if you had the only Ferrari up at the front in the form of Leclerc, who, sorry, science, <laughs> um, they reacted on lap 12 to try and get an undercut with him from the lead, but Red Bull weren't going to have any of that, they were able to continue on, Verstappen came in on lap 16, switched over to the medium tyre, and then was able to take the lead back, lead of the race back on lap 19, so this is someone who started in 14th, took the lead before the pit stops, or just after the pit stops when Sainz came in, and then on fresh and medium tyres was able to overhaul Sainz again and take the lead and was able to just cruise on home after that. He made one more pit stop on lap 31. Checo did the same. He did a medium, medium hard strategy to secure second, and then you had Sainz who was on the hard tyre, same strategy as Checo at the end, with no pace and became under threat from George Russell behind, and Russell as well, closing the gap to within two seconds at the end of the race, but made a mistake at Stavolo, I think, to settle for P4, so yeah, again, hard tyre and Ferrari, not really the best of friends, but, you know, finishing third, I think, would have been better than not finishing on the podium again, because that's kind of how their last few races ended up, was for Ferrari, um, but Leclerc just... You know, what, what's going on there with Leclerc? The strategy again. The strategists, in fact, you've got a question. You know, they and that was the word, question. They kept asking a lot of questions of their driver. It was as if they had no confidence. They had no idea what they were doing. Like, yes, I did say a couple of weeks ago that it would be nice if uh, the drivers at Ferrari at the moment, Leclerc and Sainz, had the confidence in themselves to dictate the strategy like the great drivers like Verstappen and Hamilton do. You know, they say, why are we going on that tyre? I want this tyre. And then kind of pressures the team into changing the decision or like ahead of the pit stop. But it just it just seems so fractured, seems so broken where the engineer has to ask you a million questions about what tire you want to be on and the driver himself has no clue either what's going on and then what happens is they make a confusing third pit stop so they had fifth or they might have had no they had fifth all sewn up and it wasn't like they were going to get any extra out of it but they put him they brought him in for a soft tire again like they did in Hungary, um, when they knew that they weren't going to be on the podium and whatnot, so bring him in for the soft tyre, go for the fastest lap, but didn't get the fastest lap, did he? And then what happens is they take a five-second penalty as well for speeding in the pit lane, and he was found to be one kilometre an hour over the speed limit in the pit lane, which put him behind um, Alonso in the end, so he finished sixth uh, instead of fifth, so they lost another position, and, you know, given the fact that their chief rival was able to win the race quite comfortably, it's like, what are you guys doing? Why? And even Alonso said after the race, only such a strange thing could Ferrari do, so it just, it continues the, the joke, you know, the practical joke that is Ferrari this season, and it's kind of, like, I don't feel sorry for them in that respect, but it just, 
I feel sorry for the fans who have to deal with this because they have the fastest car, you know, over a single lap easily. They keep making bad decisions when it comes to strategy, like they could easily just not use the hard tyre at all, you know, devise a strategy around using only the soft and mediums, that's what they seem to have the pace on, and then just try and force Red Bull into making mistakes or to make them make a decision rather than having to react to what their rivals are doing around them. They're just not really being the innovators in this instance. You know, this is why Mercedes and Red Bull now sound like a broken record, but this is why Mercedes and Red Bull are as good as they are. It's not just because they have the fastest car, not at all. It's because they have all these other things that bring the team together and can execute a race much better than Ferrari can. So it is pretty much a given that, you know, this year is not, there's no chance for them yet. And I think they kind of escaped the fact that Mercedes would have closed in on them in terms of points if Hamilton didn't have that DNF, but they were able to extend the margin over Mercedes a little bit here. But, you know, that's still, I feel like, going to shrink as the season goes on and Mercedes are going to jump ahead. But, it's it's embarrassing. It it is definitely embarrassing, you know, and it's hard to go beyond uh, Max for winning at his home race, despite the fact that you know people are saying that Zandvoort, the circuit, the not the fact that it doesn't have as many straights as apart from the main straight or whatever, the corners that will suit Ferrari more. I don't think so. I think you could even start Max from the pit lane and he could win the race. Someone was saying on Twitter, I think that he could. Uh, for for some entertainment, start him in Belgium and he could come and win the race as well. So that is just shows you the state of Ferrari and what, what's going on there at the moment. So it's pretty pretty dismal. But again, you can't take away how good Max is, his performance this race and all season so far. Um, he is just continuously showing how good he is and just yeah, you can't really come up with more superlatives you might have to I might have to learn another language to start praising this kid if uh, he continues this run which he he most likely is anyway behind uh, them now so Alonso finishing the race in fifth of course after that first lap incident with Hamilton um, escaping any kind of sanction as well so it was good for him and Alpine to get points in fifth Uh, Esteban Ocon coming in seventh having started from you know back of the grid with the pit with the um penalty he as well had the highlight play of the race which was the the pass on the Kemmel straight uh on Sebastian Vettel and Pierre Gasly very much like Mika Hakkinen in 2000 with the Schumacher and Ricardo Zonta um I think there was a moment where pre-race you could see Mika Hakkinen himself talking to Ocon on the grid, so perhaps giving him some tips to how to execute that sort of pass, but great job from Ocon, and Alpine again, you know, the team that nobody wants to drive for, and they are just performing solidly in the midfield, and you know, while it's fair and well to praise them for how well they're doing in the midfield, it's still you know, the question is begging to be asked, when are they going to take that step towards the front three teams, which is something that they've not been able to do since Renault returned to as a factory team in 2016. You know, they've been quite far from being able to break into that top three since then. So are we going to see that happen 
next year or the year after, probably more so the year after. People keep saying 2024 when it comes to the likes of McLaren and for, for Alpine as well. Ocon very much committed to that, which is good. So will he get to bear the fruits of their progress and everything? You know, he's already had a win for them last year, which came in bizarre circumstances, but a win is a win. Uh, in Dominic Toretto uh, quoting terms, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, you know, I feel like for Ocon and his loyalty, there should be some kind of reward in it. Otherwise, then you can go on and uh, beat up on Alpine and say, well, they really haven't done a good job, have they? They keep announcing five-year plans and, you know, just nothing seems to come of it. So... Yeah, very confusing times at Alpine, but what they are doing well is performing on track at the moment, so that's the the good part. Behind him, Seb Vettel in eight, great drive from him as well, driving really well at the moment. I guess you could say that the shackles are off him, given that we know that he's retiring at the end of the season. And like I said, in the mid-season special, it was like, it would be nice not to see Vettel or it would be nice to see Vettel actually be competitive in these last few races before he retires, rather than letting his career end on a whimper outside the points, you know, I want him to show us glimpses of the Vettel of old, you know, the Vettel that everyone came to love when he was at Ferrari, maybe not the ruthless Vettel that we got when he was at Red Bull, but, you know, everyone seemed to start loving him when he was at Ferrari, uh, behind him, Pierre Gasly in ninth, he ended up having to start the race from the pit lane. Um, he would have started in the top 10 anyway, uh, and whether he would have gained places or finished just in the top 10 remains to be seen, but there was an electrical problem that they had, so they had to start him from the pit lane and made that long third stint work on the medium tyre, pretty much as uh, Vettel and I think Alex Albon did too. Maybe not Vettel, but... <coughs> Albon, certainly. And I think points for Gasly is has been much needed. Alpha Tauri already, we've talked about them and said that, you know, they've been quite disappointing this year and, you know, they're going to have to just take whatever results they can in this instance. Alex Albon, oh, you know, at the head of a frustrating DRS train, really, that no one could get past. He just made his car as wide as possible, did Albon and um, make that strategy that he was on work to get a point for Williams, and he just keeps doing that, which is really good to see. We know that his future is committed to Williams as well, so I think there's faith between both parties, and yeah, you know, Williams, again, a disappointment that they could not take a step forward this year, but hopefully with someone like Albon committed to them, they can start making those steps. They've got the the resources to be able to do so now, so it all just comes down to the execution and whatnot, so good job from him, but then of course, you know, behind him, you've got all those people who would have been disappointed to be stuck behind, so Lance Stroll was the first cab off the rank, you had Lando Norris as well, and then you had Yuki Tsunoda and Guan Yu Zhou, who kind of did a, had a little battle to themselves at the end of the race, and Tsunoda coming up top trumps, so Again, Yuki having to start from the pit lane too, which was decided uh, just after qualifying or before the race, well before the race, that they would pull him out of Park Ferme and then uh, start him from the pit lane. And he w would have been starting from the back of the grid anyway with the penalties. McLaren, uh, like, it's so disappointing this season. You know, I know there's a podium for Lando Norris, but 
it's kind of an outlier in this instance because they just don't have the car speed and you know they kind of bungled the pit stops again they really made a hash of it in terms of putting both cars out into traffic you know Lando had made a good start he was making progress from from his grid penalty uh Ricardo was in the top 10 as well at that point but then yeah both pit stops saw both their cars come out in traffic and stuck in the DRS train behind Albon um and then for Ricardo just he lost all pace he just lost everything having been stuck behind there he couldn't even join in that battle with Joe and with Sonoda at the end so he kind of just floundered around in 15th and was only able to finish ahead of both Haas cars and Nicholas Latifi who was the last of the classified runners so I don't know I don't know if uh, he's going to be on the grid next year it's it's looking very hard at the moment if he is I feel like someone is going to miss out anyway in 2023 whether it's him or or Mick Schumacher even because there was news from from the week that Schumacher and his uh, deal with the Ferrari Academy comes to an end at the end of this year so whether that's actually you know they've said that that's actually as a result of the contract just lapsing and no one was really interested in moving forwards with it so it's not like they're cutting the association early but it is a bit of a risk, I guess, in, in for Schumacher, given the fact that if it wasn't for the FDA, he wouldn't have been brought in as such or wouldn't have had the backing through his junior career to get into F1. He's been good this season, but again, not really setting the world on fire. He's not really in that mould of a, a George Russell or Orlando Norris, Alex Albon, Charles Leclerc, all those drivers that really... Uh, shone in F2 and then came in F1 and did the same thing straight away whereas Schumacher you know last year you could have written off because of the situation with the car and not having the teammate really as a as a benchmark whereas this year having Kevin Magnussen is more of a benchmark and then uh, the car is doing a lot better too so you know don't know what's going to happen with Schumacher and his future people talking about whether he should go to Haas or if sorry not to Haas to Alpine and if Pierre Gasly ends up leaving AlphaTauri maybe they could jump on him to put him into the Red Bull pool of drivers but again I don't think you know it would be worth it in that instance as much as I want to see Schumacher Jr on the grid but yeah I feel like either him or Ricardo are going to miss out on the seat for next year because Haas for some reason want to bring back Antonio Giovinazzi who had probably one of the most underwhelming Formula E seasons and then again the season before he really didn't do much for Alfa Romeo when um, he had some good opportunities to do so chiefly Monza I think back to Monza where he had that top 10 start and then crashed on the first lap or something that was not really good for them uh, so yeah a lot to a lot of questions still to be answered in terms of the silly season we don't quite have any information yet about the CRB, the Contract Recognitions Board, uh, from the FIA, their little meeting on Monday uh, to resolve the Oscar Piastri matter. So the fact that, you know, the only thing we've got so far still is Otmar Safnau is saying that he's very confident that the ruling will fall on Alpine's side. I don't think so. I think more so from what people have been saying it's just a matter of settlement now what can Alpine get out of it as compensation because it's it's pretty much a given that he's not going to drive for them next year and he will be driving for McLaren so I think maybe we just have to wait for now 
either team to announce their plans for next season and then, you know, whether McLaren are going to have to part with more cash as a result or there's going to be some kind of compensation heading towards Alpine's way. It, it is still just very much a bitter feud and it's really sad that it's come to this, as I said, you know, it's... Um, you know, not something that you want to start your career in Formula One being remembered for. There's going to be more pressure on him now to perform next year because of it, you know, and going into a foreign environment. You know, if he had started his career with Alpine and whatnot, that would have been great because he's known the team for as long as he has. He's done so much testing and so much mileage. So I think he's just putting more pressure on himself. But then that's when we say fingers crossed and he actually delivers because from what we've seen on all accounts, Piastri is very much a driver in that Russell, Norris and Leclerc and Albon mould. So hopefully he does deliver and for all the Australians who will be sad when Ricardo leaves or ends up without a drive for next year, at least we've got someone else to cheer on. So we'll look forward to that. So the other big news that we did get over the Spa weekend, or two bits of big news that we got over the Spa weekend, is the fact that um, Spa will be on the calendar for next year. So looks like the event organisers and Formula One have come to a new deal. We didn't get any specifics about the deal, whether it would be long-term or short-term. Um, and also F1 saying that more details about the 2023 calendar will come shortly. So perhaps at the year sometime this month now that we're into september it's september the first today where has the year gone as everyone will be saying i'm sure it's it's so funny everyone you talk to will say exactly the same thing but then you'll say that every year i think you know we say it every year where has the year gone um so yeah that's good news for spa i think you know the power of the people perhaps is you know, forced this to happen, given the fact that fans and pundits alike and, and people, team personnel and everybody involved with Formula One, pretty much all the stakeholders alike, it would be like murder if Spa dropped off the calendar because it is one of those iconic races. And rather than me sitting here now making a point to you why Spa should stay on the calendar, it's good that we've got it rescued and on there for next year although this year's race did not seem the most entertaining which was a bit disappointing but um it is still one of the best tracks that the calendar has to offer and like i say i do not like the whole destination city let's have a street circuit everywhere type deal so yeah we need these circuits also confirmed was the arrival of audi into formula one so that was really exciting to Um, tune into that press conference over zoom and to see that this is actually happening they're going to come into f1 as a power unit supplier in 2026 even though even though there was a bit of mixed messaging with the fact that they had a show car uh with a with a show livery um on display there at spa i was like okay you just coming in as a pu supplier or are you going to be a factory team or whatever and we know, or it is likely going to happen that they're going to buy into Sauber and buy a significant stake as well in the team. And it was announced over the weekend that Alfa Romeo will be ending its association with the Sauber team at the end of 2023. So, you know, the takeover process of Sauber by Audi will start as of 2024. So even though that's not been confirmed, we can only assume that that's what is going to happen. So, 
great news great to see that we've got a new power unit manufacturer committed to the new regulations and basically the new regulations were designed to attract these new power unit suppliers given the fact that the MGUH which was part of the power units from 2020-2014 were so obsolete and the fact that you know pretty much Formula One hashed their introduction of hybrid power units they weren't looking at what was going on anywhere else you know looking on what was going on in World Endurance Championship where Audi and Porsche were duking it out because they were able to do so in a cost-effective manner and in a manner that was more relevant to their road car projects so you know the fact that it's taken almost a decade for them to uh, realize where they went wrong and having to now rework that to allow you know power unit prospective power unit manufacturers to come in and to make it more relevant to the road car industry I think it's a good thing that we're finally we've finally reached that um, it was quite hilarious though that there were some shots fired from Audi on um, on their German uh, counterparts in Mercedes saying things like uh, we're going to be building the first uh, we're going to be the first uh, manufacturer German manufacturer to actually build our power unit in Germany because of course Mercedes builds there in Bricksworth in the UK and then also uh, another tweet saying rumor has it rings of the new stars so stars the silver arrows being you know mercedes logo and the rings being audi so quite that'll be quite interesting and i think you know given the fact that we've seen battles between audi and porsche in endurance racing for years i think it's going to be just as good in formula one and audi's not the kind of team who are going to half bake it or get it wrong i feel like there are people who are going to sit there and laugh as you know laugh about whether they will actually do it right or not i think you know don't underestimate the likes of audi and porsche i think they can very much be up there pretty quickly whether it's within the first 2 3 years or from the from the outset you know when the rules completely change so exciting to see that of course and then of course we haven't heard quite yet what porsche is doing too but it should be announced hopefully soon that they will be entering in 2026 with uh, Red Bull. Rounding things out then is uh, some supercars with the Sandown Super Sprint talking points. So Sandown a couple of weeks ago now, but decided to pair it up with this episode instead. Um, and it was pretty much, you know, just the usual services, services normal in supercars land. We had... Uh, a little bit of a bit of excitement with Will Davison and his race 24 win on Saturday. He got pole and then went on to win by 8.5 seconds, 8.5 seconds over Shane Van Gisbergen and Anton Di Pasquale, described as a dream run by Davison himself. And some good news, I guess, like for him and for Shelby Power Racing is the fact that the team are committed to him and Di Pasquale for next season as well. So that you know locks them up in the driver market but also an ownership change as well with the fact that the Ralph family behind I think uh, Melbourne Baseball Club uh, have bought in a stake into DJR so well Ryan Story and DJR or DJ himself Dick Johnson will continue in their capacity and have their stakes within the team you know having someone like Brett Ralph come in with his investment is kind of along the lines of 
what Penske did with his ownership of the team back in his day. So, you know, it, it just shores up their future and hopefully they can find some success as well. Um, but then come Sunday, there was problems. There was an electrical problem for Davison ahead of the qualifying for race 25, but they were able to turn it around and get him on pole for race 26. But it didn't really stop Van Gisbergen because he was the one who had the dream run on the Sunday at a seven and a half second win over Chas Mostert and Will Brown on um, the first part of the Sunday races in race 25 and then um, cruised to victory ahead of Will Davison and his teammate, or Van Gisbergen's teammate Brock Feeney in race 26. So Davison tried to do an SVG in race 26 by going long with the strategy it didn't work for him <clears throat> it was a nice battle at the start of the race that we had between him and van gisbergen just juking it out for sorry juking it out for a couple of laps before uh there was a moment where he got hit from behind by his teammate Di Pasquale and um kind of lost the momentum going on there and then for Van Gisberg and the accolades keep coming in, there was his 70th win on Sunday as well, and it's hard to believe, I'm like, wow, he already reached that many wins in his career, I mean, he has been around longer than Scott McLaughlin, of course, and was winning races before McLaughlin was, um, but yeah, to reach 70, you know, he's joined pretty esteemed company up there, because only the likes of Mark Scaife, Jamie Wincup, Craig Lowndes, are all uh, beyond 70 wins in their supercars career. He's also got 16 wins for the season as well, which is putting him perilously close to the record that McLaughlin set in nine, uh, 2019, which didn't think would be beaten anytime soon of 18 wins in a season. Because you remember the record that uh, Craig Lowndes had with, I think, Mark Scaife went back to 1996 of having 16 wins in a season. So, you know, we're, we're, we'll... Van Gisbergen beat that I mean when will Van Gisbergen beat that I think and it could be possible that next time out in Pukekohe which we're going back to New Zealand for the first time in 20 since 2019 as well um, could be quite um, momentous if he was able to do it there on home soil and also uh, the fact that it is the last time we'll see Pukekohe on the supercars calendar too so yeah, that'll be quite interesting to see. And again, Van Gisbergen is a driver like Verstappen this year. You just can't... There's You're just running out of words and superlatives to say about him because they're doing so well in terms of their results and they're just in another universe at the moment with uh, their performance. And for Van Gisbergen as well, he's got such an enormous margin. It's 500 points now between him and next place driver, I can't even remember who it is, it might be Will Davison, but, um, you know, if he gets to 600 points, for example, you know, bags another 100 points um, over his rivals, then that's two rounds worth of points that he's got, so that means he could, if he sustains that um, after the Bathurst 1000, then that's championship sealed as well, with two, two rounds to go, so we've got Pugakoi coming up, Bathurst, the big one, and then Gold Coast with its sprint format, and then also the Adelaide 500, so two gruelling street races to come after the Bathurst 1000, and a bit of talk about that too over Sandown, which was good to see, and you know how I like to 
harp on about the fact that I love the Enduro Cup, I want to see an Enduro Cup back, um, but there was drivers and commentators coming out and saying that they need to bring back a pre-Bathurst Enduro, so even if it isn't an Enduro Cup as, as a whole with the three races, at least put that 500k race back and put it back at Sandown because, you know, drivers who are not the established co-drivers because we see those big teams go after the likes of your Garth Tanders, your Jamie Wincups, Craig Lowndes, Fabian Coulthard and all. Now Lee Holdsworth, of course, announcing his retirement as well from full-time driving. He'll be hot property as a co-driver next year because of that win that he had with uh, Chas Mostert last year at the Bathurst 1000 is that it doesn't give those young drivers who are coming in from Super 2 getting the co-drive gigs a chance to get proper preparation so the fact that they've just had one 30 minute practice session there at Sandown that's all they'll get before they head to the mountain it's it's not great and I like the idea of having that pre-Bathurst Enduro or even in an Enduro Cup because it gives those young drivers a chance to be able to show them their skills to put themselves on the market for a full-time drive like we saw uh, years ago like with Declan Fraser for example who will be in the wild card with uh, Craig Lowndes he didn't even get an opportunity to steer the car so that's incredibly unfair in the words of Garth Tander but also seeing performances um, over the years like Bryce Fullwood when he had he, one of his um, co-drive gigs with uh, Kelly Racing and Nissan Motorsport he put on a show at at Sandown, you know, and that really put him in the frame to get that full-time drive that he did eventually, so, you know, it's the perfect, op- you know, it's the perfect uh, breeding ground, the perfect stage for people to show their skills, the fact that Super 2 is really just underwhelmed this year, you've got so many good names on the grid, but unable to go anywhere for next year, the fact that a whole hoo-ha was kicked up about Zach Best and his pole position that he got um, at at the bend as a wild card. The fact that, you know, we weren't even allowed to celebrate that. It was more so, oh, you know, it was because of the tyres and, you know, they've got to change the rules for that. Just shows you how much of a meritocracy this sport is. It's just, you know, let's keep the top three teams winning and everything else doesn't really matter. It's becoming a bit of a farce as supercars, to be honest. So hopefully you know, someone out there is listening and they can actually, you know, make some changes to allow the sport to just, yeah, you know, allow the sport to flourish and for young drivers to be able to come in and succeed rather than one driver in a blue moon coming in and being able to do well. So that is that. And that pretty much wraps it up for then this week. Of course, we're going to keep the ball rolling with the Dutch Grand Prix afterwards, and then Monza as well the week after. Um, so plenty of F1, plenty to look forward to as well. Just waiting for the Oscar Piastri news. If we hear, hear that over the weekend, I'm sure we'll I will talk about it quite a bit next week. But other than that, have a good weekend. Take care. Enjoy the Dutch Grand Prix. Remember uh, to keep an eye out on social. So at hit the hit the apex media is the Twitter account, and of course there's a link tree to follow through to Instagram and all my articles and live blogs as well. And also check out uh, the Grid Talk podcast as well. Um, I was on the race review for Spa and should be again 
doing something with them this weekend. So yeah, thanks very much and take care everyone.